0: It's 11.30 at KRVN on Tuesday, the second day of March. It's time for midday. Tyler Cavalli along with you. We'll hear from Jason Jorgensen in sports in just a couple of minutes. We'll also hear from Bob Brogan to tell us how stocks are performing here on this Tuesday. Boy, temperatures almost spring-like across much of our region, mostly 50s. Some areas seeing 60s already. Most of us should see 60s by the end of the day. Good stuff here on this Tuesday. We'll get more on the weather coming up at 11.45 with Paul Perkins. But let's check in with Farm Director and Susan Littlefield to give us a preview of what's to come here on Midday. And Susan, how are you doing?
1: (laughs) You probably saw my email, right?
0: I saw your first email. Is there more emails? Okay.
1: Yeah, I'm just going to warn people, be careful because mud is mean. Let's just leave it at that.
0: (laughs) Okay. Yeah, I assume you didn't have a good experience.
1: No, Susan didn't have a good experience and now has a spiral fracture because of it. Mm. So just be extra careful. It's not during the day when it's soft and gushy. It's in the early morning. So just give yourself a a little mental and take a flashlight with you when you go outside.
0: Okay. All right. Something we'll, (laughs) uh, we'll take with us today. What can you tell us about midday today?
1: Oh, there's a lot going on for midday. Alex kicks everything off here at 1219. And the Nebraska 4-H is actually offering new volunteer recognition opportunities in 2020. Jill Godekin, who happens to be My Kids Extension Educator for Platt County shares some of the great details about what that's all about. At 1245, Bryce will step in. He's joined by Allison Rivera, Executive Director of Government Affairs for the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. She shares an update on the ELD mandate and hours of service requirements as they relate to what's happening in the livestock industry. And like everything else in this world, we've moved to virtual experiences. Commodity Classic is the same way. So it started officially today and we're going to hear from an ag bioengineer. Dr. Jian Jin, is from Purdue University. He's got this really cool piece of equipment called leaf spec, and we'll find out more about how that's going to help producers at 117.
0: All right, good stuff. Appreciate it. Stay safe out there.
1: Yeah, no kidding. Thanks.
0: All right, let's turn things over to Jason Jorgensen. It's the first day of State basketball in Lincoln for the girls, yes. which is weird to say.
2: It is, especially on a Tuesday. Uh, classes A and B will get rolling this afternoon. First game at 1.30. Uh, the uh, nearest school in our neck of the woods who's made it is North Platte. They've had a nice year, 16-6. and six. They play a talented Fremont squad tonight at 8.30 at Pinnacle Bank Arena.
0: It's a weird adjustment. Now, I think we talked about this uh, back with volleyball. Do you think they'll extend it, maybe not to Tuesday, but Wednesday through Saturday for state tournaments?
2: I think they should, but I don't know if they will. Because it's a money issue, and uh, you're renting a facility for a couple of days long. Now, they don't have a choice this time around. They probably weren't going to be able to pull it off. They weren't going to be able to split people off. But they should. If you make it to the state tournament, nothing against the public schools in Lincoln. But if you make it to the state tournament, your game should probably either be at Pinnacle Bank Arena or the Devaney Center.
0: It's a nice reward when you is. get there. Yeah. And if if you get to that first round and don't make it out of that first round, then you'll never experience that. So.
2: That's my... Uh Decree from the soapbox today.
0: <laughs> I don't think many players uh, and uh, coaches would disagree no. with you either. So, all right, good stuff. We'll look forward to that. uh Let's turn things over to Bob Brogan. How are stocks doing?
3: Stocks drifting in trading today, taking a pause from their uh, seesaw ride triggered by a swift rise in interest rates the last few weeks. Drug maker Merck and Company will help produce rival J and J's new. Uh, newly approved coronavirus vaccine in order to get it out faster so those are a couple of the stories we're following all right all of that time for regional ag weather update here on this
0: tuesday and of course paul perkins has stepped back in the studio and good gracious paul it's
4: like a, a spring <laughs> afternoon already i know a spring fever is definitely breaking out for a lot of people uh, temperatures for many of us right now in the upper 40s to low 50s, at least in central and east areas of Nebraska, and also into northeast Kansas. But as you head towards uh, southwest Nebraska, especially from about Lexington and Holdridge on into northwest north central Kansas and northeast Colorado, 55 to 60. We're at 60 already at Atwood and Oberlin and 63 in northeast Colorado in the Holyoke area. That's good stuff. And it's only going to warm up as most of us actually should see 60s by the end of the day. Exactly. And these Temperature is already well above normal for what we usually see this time of year. And that trend looks to continue for a while for today through Thursday. It will be sunny. Temperatures about 15 to 20 degrees milder than normal as a ridge of high pressure moves overhead. At the surface today, we do have a trough of low pressure, and that difference in air pressure is leading to some breezy westerly winds gusting as high as 30. Those breezy winds, warmer temperatures and low humidity, increasing the fire weather concerns to near critical levels, especially in north central Kansas, where right now we do have a red flag warning that's about to go into effect that will last through the afternoon and up till about early this evening. In behind the passage of that loaf of low pressure, trough of low pressure, well, those winds will be mainly light for tonight through tomorrow. So tomorrow looking very nice with those light winds and much warmer than normal temperatures. Now low pressure does move in for Thursday night into Friday. That will mostly impact Kansas with some chances of rain. Instability for thunderstorms remains farther to the south with this system and will stay warm enough, actually, that snow is not going to be a concern. The best chances for rain currently look to be southwest of a line from Lexington to Hebron. Dry weather returns for Saturday and Sunday with the building ridge of high pressure. Temperature is staying on the mild side and will be about 15 degrees warmer than normal for Friday through Monday. So even with the storm system moving through, the temperature is not expected to drop off a whole lot. Sunday might be a little bit breezy ahead of our next system. Confidence is low with that next system for early next week for any precipitation chances in our area. If we do see any precipitation, the amounts will be on the light side. For the long-term forecast, warmer than normal temperatures remain likely for Nebraska, Kansas, and the eastern two-thirds of the U.S. for Sunday through March 15th. That better chance for above-normal temperatures in Nebraska and Kansas early on for next week. And something to watch, some cooler air just off to our west by the middle of the month. The outlook calls for near normal to slightly above normal precipitation Sunday through the 15th in Nebraska and Kansas. A better chance of seeing some moisture looks to be from March 10th through the 15th. Key weather factors in the market include unchanged conditions in the forecast for South America and chances for moisture in the wheat areas of the U.S. Southern Plains. A storm crossing the south-central U.S. will generate widespread but mostly light precipitation and mainly for tomorrow through Friday. That moisture may keep the drought from getting worse, but if the rain does not occur, conditions for wheat will continue continue to be poor as it comes out of dormancy in central Brazil. Widespread rain this week continues to delay soybean harvest and second crop corn planting The latest estimates show second crop corn planting only about a third complete. That compares with more than 60% complete a year ago. Brazil soybean harvest less than 25% complete. That's an increase of 8 percentage points from last week, but well behind the 44% completed a year ago. Argentina's primary crop areas will see very little rain this week. Temperatures will also be above normal conditions that are stressful for corn and soybeans now in the filling stage. So while we are seeing these nice temperatures today, it is uh, probably
0: mindful for some, uh, especially for the drier areas uh, with the winds, could be possible fire danger.
4: Yes, yeah, so, you know, the snow is, of course, pretty much uh, gone, and especially over the southwestern areas where we already have those temperatures in the upper 50s to low 60s, and the wind's starting to pick up, kind of like last Tuesday when we saw those strong west winds really boost the temperatures. But, yeah, that fire danger getting higher and higher since we do have uh, the drier conditions and, of course, nothing green right now. Okay. All right. Well, something to keep an eye on and, and be aware of. Good stuff. Uh, for a full weather forecast, where can you find that? Weather page, com.
5: Nebraska 4-H is offering some new volunteer recognition opportunities in 2021 and today we're learning more with Jill Godigan with Nebraska Extension. Jill thanks so much for hopping on with us today.
6: Well thank you for having me today.
5: So tell us more about these new opportunities to recognize Nebraska 4-H volunteers.
6: We have around 12,000 volunteers who really make the 4-H program come to life through the entire state. And as we think about all of these great volunteers, we really want to recognize them. So for the first time in in 2020, we are bringing some new opportunities for recognition to these volunteers statewide. So we're excited to debut these three categories that really showcase the cool things that happen through 4-H and specifically made possible from volunteers. So the first one um, that we have is the Outstanding 4-H Adult Volunteer. And we are selecting one out of each of the 11 engagement zones throughout Nebraska. Also, uh, we are having an Outstanding Youth Volunteer Award for youth ages 14 to 18, one across the entire state. Uh, And then our last really unique opportunity that we're excited about is um, one statewide volunteer award for a multi generation family volunteer award as well.
5: So, Jill, if people want to nominate a for each volunteer, walk us through the process to do that.
6: Sure. First of all, they need to obviously um, determine if they're in an engagement zone, if, if they want to nominate a volunteer. Um, and we have a map on our website, so that's an easy decision. Um, we are asking for a photo of the volunteer that's being nominated, uh, and then really we only have about two questions, so it's not hard, it's very easy, and we really would encourage you to help us recognize the uh, these outstanding volunteers across the state. Jill,
5: give us an idea of the scope or really the importance of volunteers in the 4-H organization.
6: Sure, absolutely. So a lot, of, um, a lot of folks think about 4-H in a very traditional sense, and, and that's great. We have a lot of volunteers who help make that program happen in that way. Um, but the really cool thing about 4-H is that there are so many different opportunities for youth across the state in a variety of program areas that this recognition platform is really meant to recognize any volunteer in any 4-H experience. So it could be any anyone from a 4-H club leader, a project leader who is sharing a very specific project or skill, with youth to help them find their spark. Um, it could also be some special interest types of leaders who really help out with maybe the robotics program or a shooting sports program or a camp volunteer, after school volunteer. We, we really just have um, the kind of the sky's a limit and that's why we have left it open to any Nebraska 4-H volunteer for any 4-H experience.
5: Absolutely. Well, Jill, as we round out this conversation, What else is important for us to keep on our radar with Nebraska Extension?
6: Sure. Um, So we're excited, you know, with volunteers, we encourage you to go to the 4h.unl.edu slash volunteer slash recognition before April 1 and help us recognize those great volunteers by getting them nominated for an award. And then we'll be celebrating those award winners in person at the 2021 Nebraska State Fair. If you're a 4-H volunteer in Nebraska, thank you very much for your efforts in helping us bring this program to life for youth across the state. And stay tuned for some exciting um, opportunities to build your capacity as a volunteer as we look to celebrate the week of the volunteer, which is the week of April 19th.
5: All right. Great information. Thanks so much, Jill. That again is Jill Godigan joining us with Nebraska Extension. Broadcasting today from the Nebraska Soybean Board Studio, which is brought to you in part by Nebraska Soybean Farmers and their Checkoff. You're listening to the Rural Radio Network.
0: It's time for Midday Sports. Jason Jorgensen joining us here in the studio. And First day of high school girls' state basketball underway in Lincoln.
2: Yeah, Class B action earlier today. Norris took care of Bennington, 62-41. Right now in a game you can hear on our sister station in the York area, K-A-W-O, real meat grinder of a game in the fourth quarter with York up over Scut 27-21. to York actually led that thing at the half, mm-hmm. 19-6. to <laughs> Rarely
0: are there <laughs> blowouts, though, at no. the state tournament. No,
2: and especially anymore with the way they do it and the way they go through the sub-districts and match up the district finals. Uh, Class A starts at one thirty. Lincoln Pius, they've been the best team in the state. They're undefeated. They battle Miller North. North Platte with an interesting matchup tonight at 8.30. They are representing the West, the Central <laughs> and the West, of both B and uh, A as they'll take on Fremont. That is true. The, the next closest team is York. It is for us. Wow. But wow, all right. that's what they wanted, and that's what they got mm-hmm. when they went to the new system. Just hours after learning its leading scorer had quit the team, the Nebraska men's basketball team went out and played by far its best game of the season as they curb stomped Rutgers 72 51. head coach Fred Hoiberg saw a lot of positives.
4: But yeah, 14 assists on 16 baskets. Uh, you know, just that shows you the team play and the ball movement that we had. And it, it, we're going to have to. Uh, you know, do it again against Iowa. They're playing as good as anybody in the country right now with a a huge win over Ohio State in their last one and just got to find a way to go out and compete uh, consistently for 40 minutes and hopefully give ourselves a chance.
2: Tyler, there were times last night when I was watching the Big Ten Network I didn't quite realize what I was seeing as Nebraska was playing that well. So obviously
0: I was doing a high school game, and I was looking at Twitter, and I was seeing (laughs) double-digit leads. And I
2: had a look a couple of times as well. Do you think there is something to that with Teddy gone? You know, there's been a lot made of this and a lot of people blaming Teddy. You can't blame it all on Teddy. Mm -hmm. But the thing I noticed last night with him not playing, he's a ball stopper. Right. He's the guy who wants to get the ball, Mm -hmm. dribble, Mm -hmm. iso. None of that last night. Passing, cutting, spacing, guys looking for one another. Flows better. It looked like basketball. (laughs) So, you know, maybe that's just a one-night thing when everything came together. Uh, But we'll see. Uh tough one on Thursday at 5th ranked Iowa but they took a step in the right direction last night, that's for sure
0: and you're going to want to do it at this time in the mm-hmm. season you, you,
2: anything can happen, listen when we
0: get to postseason play, anything can happen
2: I mean, if those guys would have decided to roll over here 2-3 weeks ago, nobody would have blamed them for right. what they've right. had to go through but they, they keep fighting, and the GPAC Women's Basketball Championship is set for tonight, a game that Tyler Cavalli knows a lot about because he's been there before second seeded Concordia against mm-hmm. top seeded Morningside 7 o'clock. Fun matchup. Now,
0: interesting. When I was out there doing Concordia, it was Concordia-Dakota Wesleyan okay. in the uh, Pack okay. championship. But Morningside, until recently, had always been on a tear and beat Concordia. Those two were trading places in the cha- championship mm-hmm. games. So, it'll be a fun matchup. That
2: should be a good game, and I believe they'll have that one tonight on uh, Max Country in the uh, York area. Yeah, I
0: believe Morningside has won eight or nine national championships, so... They know what they're doing. Their and their, men, their men
2: got upset in the tournament, so their, their right. men are not playing mm-hmm. for the title. Mm-hmm. That is look at sports. For more, you can find that anytime at krvn.com. All right, thank you very much.
7: Attorney General Doug Peterson has filed a lawsuit accusing a Nebraska ethanol plant of repeatedly failing to comply with orders to clean up wastewater and tons of discarded pesticide laced seed corn. The lawsuit filed Monday comes amid growing complaints about the Alton plant outside of Mead, a town of less than 600 people about 37 miles west of Omaha. Information about the lawsuit came during a news conference by Governor Pete Ricketts on the state's response to COVID-19. Jim Macy, director of the Nebraska Department of Environmental and Energy, said the company, Alton LLC, has not complied with state regulations.
3: Attorney
2: General's complaint lays out the particulars of the department's investigations and this enforcement in detail, and outlines numerous violations of state law.
7: Mead residents have complained about a stench coming from the plant since shortly after it opened in 2015. They've reported bloody noses, headaches, and trouble breathing, although no one has studied whether those problems are tied to the plant. Officials say the corn waste has been stockpiled at the plant and spread over nearby fields. Nebraska could get its first doses of drugmaker Johnson & Johnson's new coronavirus vaccine as early as this week. Governor Pete Ricketts says the state has been allowed to order up to 15,000 doses, but state officials don't yet know how much they'll get. The announcement came days after the U.S. Food and Drug Administration approved the vaccine, clearing the way for a third shot that's shown to be effective. Unlike the vaccines from manufacturers Pfizer and Moderna, which require two doses to provide full immunity, the Johnson & Johnson vaccine can be delivered in one shot. Ricketts says the state also expects to get 18,720 Pfizer doses and 17,000 Moderna doses this week. Police are investigating what they called the suspicious death of a man in his 30s whose body was found inside a Lincoln home. Police say officers were called late Monday morning to a house along North 20th Street after someone noticed a door standing open to the house. Arriving officers found the body of the man inside. Police have not released the man's name or any details about how he may have died. Police said there is no known threat to the public, but did not give any information about a suspect in the case or announce any arrests. Troopers with the Nebraska State Patrol with assistance from the Dawson County Sheriff's Office have arrested a Lexington man following a pursuit and search Monday morning in Dawson County. At approximately 2.55 a.m. Monday, a trooper observed a westbound Chrysler 300 speeding on Highway 30 near Lexington. The trooper attempted a traffic stop, but the vehicle refused to yield and fled at a high rate of speed. The trooper initiated a pursuit. The vehicle traveled northbound on road 428 for several miles, reaching speeds in excess of 100 miles per hour. The vehicle then turned eastbound on Buffalo Road and eventually began driving through a field. The trooper was able to stop the vehicle, and then the driver fled on foot. Troopers and deputies searched the area for several hours until receiving a report from a local resident that the suspect was in a field several miles north of the original scene. The resident was able to direct troopers to the area, and at approximately 8.10 a.m., a trooper located the suspect in a field just west of Highway 21. The suspect was taken into custody without further incident. 28-year-old Jose Marquez of Lexington was arrested for a flight to avoid arrest, failure to obey a lawful order, obstructing a police officer, possession of methamphetamine, possession of marijuana less than one ounce, possession of drug paraphernalia, and criminal mischief. He was lodged in Dawson County Jail. For the Rural Radio Network, I'm Ellen Simmons.
8: (laughs)
9: Bryce Duskett joining you now on the Rural Radio Network. Today we are joined by Allison Rivera. She's the Executive Director of Government Affairs for the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. Allison, we usually catch up each year at the annual Cattle Industry Convention and NCBA Trade Show. That event has been pushed back to August, but I wanted to visit with you today about the electronic logging device mandate and the hours of service rules. What can you tell us about the ELD mandate and the hours of service requirements as it relates to the livestock industry?
8: Absolutely. So I'm I'm happy to say that we are sitting in an ELD delay for livestock haulers. Uh, we were able to achieve that again through the appropriations process. That will be in place until September 30th of 2021. We have already begun those Hill conversations to make sure that we can get that extended into the next fiscal year. Um, but that work has to get done. We still need our haulers out there to re- to remind their members of Congress that this is a delay that, we still need to maintain. The other um, item in the hours of service space is that we have continued to work on the flexibility. Flexibility is that key word. We continue to work on that back end 150 air mile exemption. We have a lot of bills that were introduced in the last couple of Congresses. We continue to have those conversations with those members of Congress to see if we can get something like that into an infrastructure package. So we continue to work on flexibility We'll continue to have those conversations at DOT and make sure that they understand that flexibility is really what we need in the livestock calling world.
9: Allison, this is complicated, to say the least, when it comes to working in Washington, D.C., a place you find yourself trying to uh, navigate the complexities of a two-part question here for you. One is, who do you see as some of the biggest allies uh, in the, the House and Senate when it comes to working on this issue? In part two, just help our listeners understand the complexities of this, because you're talking about putting exemptions within uh, uh, within spending bills and just trying to find a way to get that passed.
8: Well, we we have a lot of great friends on both sides of the aisle. Um Part of what I'm working on right now is making some new friends, right? We have a lot of new members of Congress, again, on both sides of the aisle. Um, I think when we talk about livestock hauling, you know, there there's a lot of economic impact, but there's also an animal welfare piece. And again, it depends on who we're speaking to, but we're going to hit on both of those pieces with these new members. We're going to make new friends. We're going to make sure that they understand that this ELD mandate, um, if it were to be placed back on livestock haulers, would be very detrimental. Um, we're also having those conversations with, uh, you know, members that have been supportive in the past. Members like Senator Hoven have been very helpful on that ELD delay. Um, members on the House side, like uh, Congressman Cuellar of Texas, understand that those Texas cattle have got to get moved. So um, I would say we have a lot of great friends. Congresswoman Angie Craig up in Minnesota is another one that comes to mind. Um, Congresswoman Cherise Davids has been helpful on the ELDs. And I know I'm going to forget there's many members that have been helpful. But the biggest thing is for haulers, again, and producers alike to reach out to their members of Congress and just remind them that this is still an issue. Finding that flexibility for our livestock haulers and reminding these members that you cannot, um, one size fits all does not work in the in the livestock hauling world. So when we're looking at things coming out of DOT, we have to remind our friends at DOT and FMCSA that um, live haul is very different than hauling that toilet paper that everyone has needed so very much in the last year.
9: Well, Allison, another thing we should hit on, you've mentioned it a couple of times the word new and new Congress, new, new folks you have to interact with, but also new administration, the Biden administration. Uh, folks are making their way through confirmation. One of them being the transportation secretary. Talk to me about how that process is going so far and the conversations you've been able to have with uh, the nominee for the secretary of, of transportation.
8: So, uh, secretary Buttigieg has, uh, has been confirmed and he is in that spot and he has already hit the ground running. Um, In his confirmation hearing, we were able to plant quite a few questions. Uh, Senator Tester reminded uh, the secretary that... taking animals off, on and off trailers uh, multiple times is is not ideal. And I believe he said he didn't want to be there when those animals have to be offloaded again before uh, they get to their final uh, stopping place. So um, and also, you know, it was great to hear the secretary say during the hearing that he understands that um, sometimes uh, policies come out of DOT where maybe they don't understand the difference between, um, you know, live animals and a, a box of goods. And so we're going to continue those conversations with him. We're going to continue to meet his, uh, some of his new staff over there at FMCSA. We're going to see some new individuals and we've already started some of those conversations. And Again, we just want to remind them that agriculture is at the table. Uh, it's a huge part of, of the trucking world. And while livestock haulers might be less than 1% of the trucks on the road, we know in order to keep those grocery store shelves stocked, uh, we have got to keep the flow of cattle moving, get to the plants, get to the feed yards, and get uh, product to the shelves.
9: said anything else you want to mention that would be important for our Nebraska listeners to know?
8: Absolutely. I just want to remind everyone that uh, once again, FMCSA has granted us uh, an emergency declaration exempting uh, livestock haulers from hours of service until May 31st. Um, Again, that's due to COVID and um, the need for flexibility in that space, the need to be able to pivot um, if we see any slowdowns or any plant closures. So we appreciate that FMCSA continues to see the need for flexibility for our haulers. Um, We're grateful for the uh, emergency declaration. We hope that they can take a look at our safety record in the past and through this emergency declaration and see that we have done it safely and we have gotten product where it needs to go and we've gotten animals where they they need to go and we hope that they can find uh, some space to grant us some further flexibility down the road.
9: That is Alison Rivera, the Executive Director of Government Affairs for the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. I'm Brian Stewski reporting on the Rural Radio Network.
3: With the Business Report for Tuesday, I'm Bob Bruggen. Stocks are drifting lower in afternoon trading on Wall Street, giving back some of their big gains from a day earlier. The S&P 500 was down five-tenths of a percent after earlier flipping between small gains and losses. A day before, it leaped 2.4% for its best performance since June, nearly erasing its entire loss from the week before. For weeks, the market's focus has been fixed on the bond market, where a swift recent rise in interest rates is threatening one of the main reasons for the stock market's run to records through the pandemic. The yield on the 10-year Treasury eased a bit to 1.41%. Drugmaker Merck & Company will help produce rival Johnson & Johnson's newly approved coronavirus vaccine in an effort to expand supply more quickly. That's according to a Biden administration official who spoke on condition of anonymity ahead of a speech planned by President Joe Biden this afternoon. Officials have said j and faced unexpected production issues with its vaccine and produced only 3.9 million doses ahead of its receiving emergency use authorization on Saturday. The company is on pace to deliver 100 million doses by the end of June. Target extended its strong sales streak through the holiday quarter and grabbed business from rivals. The Minneapolis-based discounter reported today that its profit soared 66%, while sales jumped 21% for its fiscal fourth quarter. The results handily beat Wall Street estimates. Sales at stores opened at least a year, rose 6.9 percent compared to a year ago. Kohl's reported mixed results for its fiscal fourth quarter, delivering a 30 percent increase in profits, but a 10 percent drop in sales. For the Rural Radio Network, I'm Bob Brogan.
1: The 2021 Commodity Classic is underway, but it does have a virtual experience. This morning, media got to meet with the Association of Equipment Manufacturers. As Dr. Jian Jin is a professor of ag bioengineering at Purdue University. And he talked to us about leaf speck and what it's going to mean to producers.
10: Uh, With this LeafSpec product, uh, for the first time, we are able to deliver the advanced hyperspectral imaging technology with a mobile device. So before this innovation, people have been using the big and expensive hyperspectral imaging stations for plant phenotyping and only a few big companies and universities can afford that. And also hyperspectral cameras have been carried by drones to scan the crops in the field. However, those drone systems require a lot of the expertise in flight control, georeferencing, image processing, making it difficult for ordinary people to use. And besides that, all the traditional hyperspectral imaging systems are suffering from comparatively lower imaging resolution and various severe imaging noise such as the ambient light, the big variance across the canopy and also the different leaf uh, leaf slopes. So our leaf spec technology resolved all of those issues with just one device. So as a handheld device, it can be easily deployed at any location and generate hyperspectral leaf images with half millimeter resolution. Uh, as you, uh, so it takes only 10 seconds to scan a leaf and provide measurements of the plant physiological features such as leaf moisture, nutrient level, uh, diseases, and so on. Because it is a proximal sensor instead of a remote sensor, it completely removes the impact from the ambient light and the leaf slope impacts.
1: And the cool thing is the image is processed immediately on the spot for you to look at. But what about the size of the equipment?
10: So uh, LiveSpec is a self-contained device, but the customers also have the option to use our cloud service and have all the measurements automatically saved to our server with the user-friendly MapView interface. So this provides the effortless cyber experience for the customers, and you only need to take care of the uh, scanning. Um, so uh, we have already sold the devices to university and industry customers and received very positive feedbacks. Our current bottleneck is the manufacturing capability and we are looking for investors and collaborators to help us boom the business and at the same time Purdue University is making very fast progresses in developing the robotic technologies to fully automate the leaf scanning process in the field. Uh, with a much faster speed to meet the major breeding companies' uh, phenotyping needs. So stay, stay tuned, please. And finally, just want to uh, make sure everyone knows that uh, LeafSpec LLC is the only company I'm involved well, involved with for the commercialization of this technology. Uh, so anybody, please uh, make sure to talk with me directly if you are interested.
1: And he was asked if this development is for those producers or those in the seed industry
10: and even beyond that. So um, uh, yes, surely for uh, farmers and breeders, we can provide this instant measurement of the plant health status. And that also gives the feedback to the farmers to uh, guide them on when to fertilize, when to water, right? But at the same time, uh, at this moment, uh, actually most of the customers uh, of my company is from the uh, university and uh, uh, industry researchers.
1: Those comments are coming from Dr. Jian Jian. He's a bioengineer professor at Purdue University, talking during this morning's Commodity Classic. I'm Susan Littlefield, the Radio Network.
11: Clay on the world Radio Network as we talk to John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst with Daniel Zag, Marketing in Chicago, publisher of the newsletter this week in grain. John, an impressive day as we close just near the highs in many of the corn, soybean, and wheat contracts overall. What do you make of it, though, with wheat being one of the primary leaders to the top side here? Is this sustainable-type rally?
12: Oh, absolutely. I think if you look at the spread markets, wheat has the most to go. Uh, you know, if you're going to give upside to the, to the markets on just a broad-based rally, I think the action that we saw in corn, especially off that, like, 530 price, was pretty pretty key. Technically, that'll look good on the chart here as we move throughout the, the, the week. Uh, if we can close up here, I imagine it'll test, you know, Sunday night's high, uh, maybe even the high from from April in the corn. I'm sorry, not April, uh, from February in corn, which I think was up there around 570. So those are all things that should come when we, we get into the USDA report thursday i think it's thursday the 9th don't quote me on the day i think i know it's the 9th you'll get the data um you know it'll kind of set the stage for what will be a pretty dynamic picture so the december futures in my opinion starts to see the volatility move a lot more September's already seen it pick up a little bit um you know what's the interesting part of the whole trade itself really has been that the the back of the curve has rallied the front of the curve until today really hadn't taken much leadership and so I think that's what I'll be watching tomorrow and the end of the week, whether the gold crop prices really move higher or are they being rationed when they get up here.
11: We've got about 60 seconds here, John, and as well, we look at the outside equities. They are still a little bit soft, but really, the money flow potential to come back into commodities, it's still that hard asset that has plenty of room for potential. So do investors still like this in the long run?
12: Yeah, I think it's, at this point in time, equities are going to have a hard time moving higher. Uh, you know, you saw how sensitive they were to interest rates going up. So you know, they're in a box between, you know, needed more stimulus, which comes with bad economic news, and really, you know, the need to go higher because of growth and inflation. And I think, uh, you know, commodities are a decent buy here. And I think deferred corn contracts, especially uh, corn and beans, there's a lot of value if we uh, we get into a weather cycle this summer.
11: We're talking with John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst, Daniels Ag Marketing in Chicago. You can learn more at DanielsAgMarketing.com. That's DanielsAgMarketing.com. Do remember, though, trading futures and options involve risk of loss may not be suitable for all investors. Do consider these risks before investing. And as well, you can sign up for John's daily newsletter. He calls it this week in grain. He includes a short video commentary of what happened in the overnight trade, what he expects to see in the day's trade. That all available at DanielsAgMarketing.com. We'll see the May soybean contract close with just in four cents of its highest, 14, 12 and a half, up 21 and a quarter. May corn right there as well. as is three from its high at 545, even up six and three quarters. While that May Chicago wheat settles 666 and a quarter, up 16.
0: All right, thank you very much, Clay. That'll wrap up this Tuesday edition of Midday. If you miss anything, you can listen to our Midday podcast sponsored by Devaney Motors, wherever podcasts are available, or krvn.com.